most part we're afraid to tell you. Since I'm not a pastor anymore, I'm retired, and uh, Evan's my good buddy, I'm going to tell you what I think he would like to have you know. I've gotten some scripture reference, and I appreciate Nancy helping me because she put that in the bulletin, and you have all of uh, whatever notes, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm not very good at following notes or outlines, so you'll just kind of have to hunt and peck to stay up with me, but uh, I trust that that will work out well as time goes by. I gave you two passages of scripture to address myself to the first underlying problem the New Testament faces. But I want to ask you a very common sense question. Uh, We are a church of about 150, 175 people on the average, and that's very good. We're appreciative of that. How many of you believe that that justifies a full-time pastor? Would you raise your hand? You think of the 150, 75 people. Now, I'm just trying to be ridiculous. How many of you think that we ought to pay him since we ask him to work full-time? Would you you, uh, agree with that? Now, I said that because that's a lot of what's addressed in the New Testament. The two passages that I gave you were addressing itself to whether or not a pastor, as we would call them today, during their time, they were Christian workers or whatever they might refer to them. They were really kind of itinerant teachers. And uh, as you might be well aware, Paul claimed the, the title of an apostle. And we really don't have an equivalent for an apostle right now. Uh, one of the things that Donald McGavran and a couple of others that worked in the church growth movement about 25 years ago, they said that the apostolic position was the modern-day equivalent of a church planter who went into an absolutely unchurched area. Those areas are not very plentiful, but there are those of them. So we really don't have apostolic ministry anymore. But we have prophetic ministry, we have teaching, and the title pastor, what is a pastor? Well, the New Testament concept is that one who is an over-shepherd, one who is responsible for the flock. Well, that's a very uh, easy thing to say, but it has certainly been an evolving and complicated concept down through the last 2,000 years. I want to give you a quick overview of the kinds of things a pastor can do. Now, I'm from the South, as some of one might guess. In the South, they, they don't call them pastors. They say preacher. You're the preacher. Now, that kind of inf- in, indicates what they think is important. Uh, I am sure that you are aware that there are many places in which if the man or woman who fills the pulpit can speak well, everything else doesn't matter. However, today we expect a pastor to be a, an absolute administrator. He has to be a leader. He has to have a business head. He has to be a teacher. He has to have a, a driver's license. He has to be able to navigate. He has to be able to understand the complexities involved in bureaucracy, whether it involves the government or interacting with some local municipality. All of these things, in addition to, he has to, she has to have people skills. In almost every instance, he has to, she has to be married. And if they have children, they have to be perfect. Now, I also am aware there was a time, there's not too many people here that can remember this time, but I can remember a lot of old-fashioned things like telephones, but um, I can remember when the pastor's wife, Linda, you remember when the pastor's wife almost had to play the piano. I mean, that was part of it, wasn't it, Tom? I mean, you looked at a pastor, that was the first thing you'd say, does your wife play piano? Well, my wife does play piano. She's never played piano in the church since we got married, because I just don't like that. I think that's bad. Because then when you leave, you lost a preacher and a piano player. And that can put you in a hard place as a church. But uh, in case you didn't know, my wife's a very accomplished pianist. And uh, she used to play a great deal more. 
But um, so that's that's the, what a pastor is. Now, what do you might think of as a pastor? It might be something a little bit different. Uh, someone that's friendly, or someone uh, that's jovial, or someone that treats your children right, and all those things have validity. But what is a pastor? What is your concept of a pastor? And now I share with you the obvious. There is no one that can do all of those things I've listed well. No one. And I don't think I would be, though I do not know any better than some of you know, our pastor Daniel that's coming. I met him. I've talked to him. We've interviewed him. He seems to be a wonderful fellow. I'm looking forward to great things. But I have a, I have a feeling we're going to find he has a weakness. We'll find something he cannot do. I'm going to look for it till I find it, Linda. I'm telling you. I'm going to find it. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but I'll find it. Now, folks, that's normal. The average pastor in America today stays less than two years. I know churches that go through, in the last 10 years, they've been through eight preachers. There are some churches which we we call, without being facetious, but somewhat jokingly, they're preacher killers. You send a pastor there that you want to get out of the denomination. Give them 12 to 14 months and you will succeed. Because many pastors who go to that kind of church, after 12 or 14 months, they quit. They, they said they're finished. My brother became a pastor 10 years ago of a church. He did it by default. He's a school teacher by trade and kind of a superintendent at one time, but he didn't like administrations. He and his wife were both school teachers. And a new church started. They asked him to be the pastor. He's the pastor. About two years ago, on a Sunday night, he sent me a text. I don't remember the exact detail, but I have it written down somewhere because I want to remember it, but I don't remember it completely. But he said, Dale, today has been a day. No kidding. He said, um, attendance was pretty good. Offering was about flat. Sandy and Dick, or whatever, they, they're divorcing. Bob, my elder stewardship, told me today he was resigning. Two other people left the church. This pastor stuff is for the birds. I called him that night. I said, hey, this is the bird keeper. He said, oh, he said, I, I, I just get discouraged. Well, I know what that's like. You can get discouraged. And that had happened to him that morning. The couple that was separating were his best friends. He and his wife had been on vacation with them recently. They came back and announced, that's a great thing. When you go on vacation with somebody as a pastor and your wife, and you come back in town and says, hey, I'm divorcing my wife. Must have had a positive impression. But apparently, this is normal. Because this is life. And I want you to understand some things about what your pastor kind of goes through on Sunday morning. First of all, I want to mention to you that he certainly is a human being and that he needs encouragement. I don't know how many of you, but I know there are some of you here this morning, but probably not enough, who are encouragers. I want to pick on somebody, your mother and your wife. Wonderful lady, but she was not always honest. (laughs) Matter of fact, I have to say to you, I think Miss Cynthia lied a little bit. Almost every Sunday. Because, Jeff, she would come out of church, you know what she'd do kind of embarrassed you, Tom, I guess. She called and she said, oh, pastor. You know how she said, oh, gosh. that was the greatest message I've ever heard. <laughs> now, you know, after two weeks, she's lying. <laughs> you couldn't hit three in a row. 
and I guess I, I was with her and pastor 10, 12 years. She's, you know, I'm lying to you when I say every so many Sundays, that's what Cynthia would come up and tell Oh, Pastor, that was a best. And I'd, after a while, I'd say, Cynthia, you're the biggest liar in Lake County. I ain't lying to you. You don't, oh, no, I'm telling you the truth. Well, I kidded with her, and I, I think she knew I was kidding with her. But I tell you right now, that was encouragement. I know it wasn't true, but it was nice to hear. You know, it's nice to hear if somebody come up to you and say, you know, Jim, you're the, you're the best mother I've ever met. Well, you might be the best mother I've ever met because I haven't met many good ones, you know, but the truth be known, everybody needs to be encouraged. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Pastor Daniel will need to be encouraged. The man's moving halfway across the country with wife and three children, and he's never pastored a church by himself before. I would beg of one or two or five of you that are here, make it your business right now. On a regular basis, you're going to go to him and say, Pastor, I love you. Or I appreciate you. Or tell him he's the best preacher in the world. You say, I'm not sure that's the truth. Well, sin just a little bit. It won't hurt nobody. <laughs> I mean, if you've got to pick something to lie about, that's a good one. You know, hey. Or you might just say, Pastor, you're the best preacher I've heard this week. You know, really do whatever you've got to do. But to be, because I'm telling you something, all you're really doing, but it's important, is you're balancing the scale. You're balancing the scale. I didn't get a chance to mention it earlier, but you'll hear negative things. And uh, Brother Dan, he's had to leave this morning. Some of you may know his son yesterday had a stroke, young man. And they think it's a TIA, but it's serious. Well, when you walk into church as a preacher on Sunday morning, and somebody meets you at the door and says, Pastor, would you pray for my son? He had a stroke. And then somebody go five more feet. Uh, You know, my mother was in the hospital. I I, I don't think she's going to make it this week. And somebody else comes in and tells you something else negative. Well, by the time you get up here in the pulpit, you want to say, folks, let's go home. It's a terrible day. I'm brokenhearted. I can't hardly think straight. And you're supposed to preach. You're supposed to say good things and encourage 150 people and smile at them. And then there's always going to be the proverbial Roger that will come up and say, Pastor, uh, so-and-so and so-and-so, I think they've left the church. That's what you just need to hear before you get up and preach. Or you hear something else. Now, I'm, I'm saying that you shouldn't do those things. I beg of you, do not go up to Pastor Daniel before he preaches on Sunday morning and tell him something bad. He, he said, you might think he needs to hear it. He, he might need to hear it, but I guarantee you can wait an hour. Can you think you can wait an hour? You know, just wait till after church and then drop the bomb on him and let him be depressed all afternoon. Then that'll be working well come next fall. And then when he watches the Browns, he'll be in the right mood all the way. Tell him something negative after service, but don't tell him before service because then he's got to get up and preach. And, and, and I know Pastor Evans felt that way, and I have, and almost every preacher does. And Pastor Daniel needs to be encouraged. So when he comes in there, don't let it last one or two. Now listen, I'm quite confident. I know you folks relatively well. We can be nice to Pastor Dan for at least two weeks, can't we, just on general principle. But what's going to happen after that? What's going to happen after that? So I encourage you to be encouraging to him. Help him to recognize what his gifts are and let him use them. Please don't try to, well, and I can assure you on the board, those of us in leadership, we're not going to try to make him fit into a box. That, you know, one of the things he's told us is he likes techie stuff. Well, that's great because I don't understand that stuff. So he'll work in fine so far as I'm concerned. 
but he might not be good at something else. My uh, modus operandi, and I, I've gotten, been blessed for many years with this, probably 25, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, 35 years ago, no, I, I finally said what I knew. I am terrible at visiting hospitals. I get depressed, and I come out feeling worse than the patient does. And, you gotta, and I get lost in downtown Cleveland. Do you know how many hospitals we have in Cleveland? Lord have mercy, it's a sin against God. I think at one time we had 30. And I had to go, and, and you know, there ought to be a rule in the church. If you're going to go to hospital, you've got to have one you designate, you all got to go to that hospital, you can't go nowhere else. But I had people that would go to every hospital around, you know, and I'd had like seven, eight hospitals in Cleveland, different people, all of them. And there was that day and time, which is not as bad maybe as it was, everybody expected you to go, in the, to go see them if they went to the hospital. And I kept thinking, I'm not a doctor. What do you want me to Well, I, I know some of that. So I finally asked my leadership, and I said, look, I'm not good at visiting hospitals. Let's hire somebody to do that. Well, we talked about it, and they voted to do it. I'll never forget that but maybe Monday or Tuesday, whenever we, we made that announcement, someone came to see me. One of the young men in the church came to see me, made an appointment. You, you know you're in trouble when they make an appointment to come see you. And so they made it, he made an appointment, and he came in and he said, Pastor, would it be okay if I shut the door? Oh, yeah, shut the door. Well, he laid into me. He called me lazy, good for nothing, hypocrite, fake, hillbilly. That one I kind of liked. I didn't mind that. He went on and on and on. Oh, because I wasn't going to. That was my job. He said, what do you think we pay you for, you hillbilly? And I explained to him that I didn't think. So we had, thankfully, we had recommended, and we hired a gentleman to do that, which, who was my dear brother who's passed on now, Jack Ruff. Well, one of the things I hate doing in visitation hospitals, I, I hate that strong word, but, but I felt very uncomfortable as is, is I was like 28, 29 years old, 30 at that time, many years ago. And I, one of the things you expect to do is go and visit new mothers when they have a baby. That's very awkward when you're a preacher. You know, what are you going to do? Walk in? In my luck, I walk in and, and it wouldn't be a right situation for me. And I'm thinking, I don't want to walk into that. And I always felt bad. So we hired Jack Ruff. And he started visiting the hospitals. But that rascal was smarter than a steel trap. Every time he'd go and visit a new mother, he'd carry her a milkshake. He'd stop and he'd come into the hospital, they said, with four or five milkshakes. He'd go in and when he'd visit somebody, they'd say, well, you know, I got a friend or I met them. Would you go pray? He'd end up with praying with 10 people all the way down the road. There were days in which I, when we started getting cell phones, he a couple of days beat the ambulance to the hospital. When the member of the church got to the hospital, Jack was in the waiting room. After about two weeks, from that day till this morning, no one has asked me to visit the hospital since. <laughs> he was so good at it. There were people who almost were hoping they could get sick so they could get Jack come visit them. <laughs> that was not my thing, not my gift. And I, I thank God I had people who were not forcing me into that mold. Now, I love to visit people in their homes, and I like to interact. I love friendship and fellowship, but I'm not a hospital visiting person. I do not know what Pastor Daniel won't be good at. But one of my goals is to help find out what that is, and if I can do it, I'll do it. And if you can do it, you do it. We want to fill the gaps for what he's weak at. Pastor Evan has said to me for years, which I didn't totally agree with, still don't. He said, I'm weak at administration. Well, many times people in church don't understand the, the symbiotic relationship between administration and delegation. 
And I've been here for a couple years, and I've joked with Evan a lot about it. Evan delegates. How many of you have worked with Evan and he delegated to you? Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? He's ever worked with you at all? I discovered after a while, I talked to some of you people when I first got here, and they had delegated something to you, and I asked you about it, and you said, I think I'm going to do such and such. i got to pass it by Evan. I said, why? Because I do. No, you don't. He delegated it to you. He said, do it, didn't he? Oh, no, he wants me to come. So I went to him. I said, Evan, it seems like everybody in the church that you've delegated to feels like they've got to come back to you. Then why did you even delegate it? If you delegate responsibility, you have to also delegate authority. You have to do both. If you don't, you haven't saved yourself any time and energy. And Evan's working on that and still was working on that day, and I know he'll get better. I don't know what Pastor Daniel will or will not be good at. But if he delegates to you, make sure you clarify with him. I'll try to make sure he does it with you. He understands if I ask you to do something and you have the authority to do it, I'm not going to make you come back and report to me. If you ask, hey, look, Josh, would you go buy toilet paper? I'm not going to tell you what kind. Get whatever kind that your wife tells you because that's the way to stay out of trouble. Yeah. But delegation and administration and teaching and preaching and visiting, and sharing meetings, and on down the line, pastors can get in trouble for weird things. Many years ago, I don't remember who it was, which will be indicative of the story. We had a baby dedication. Nice couple, I'm sure, I don't remember who it was, came up to the front of the church, and we were having a dedication, and I forgot the mother's first name. That's pretty embarrassing. Here you are in front of four or five hundred people, and you cannot for the life of you. And I prayed something, Lord, help this young mother and make it sound like, you know, and next thing, justifiably, I think she's mad at me. But she should be. I couldn't remember her name on Sunday morning. I knew her well. After service, I knew her real well. I could call her by name 15 seconds after I couldn't do it while she was up front. You have people get mad at you as a pastor for that. You walk down the aisle of the church and you walk uh, right past Sid back there and you don't speak to him. Now, you may have a reason, but the truth is, you didn't even see him. You were thinking about something else you had to do, or you're getting ready to preach, and the next thing you know, the word gets back to you, somebody's mad at you. You try to trace it, and you chase it, and you find out you didn't speak to me. How come you don't like me? What are you mad at me about? I've had people come up to me and meet me right here at the altar and said, uh, Pastor Dale, I just remember, I want to find out, what are you mad at me about? I said, well, I'm not mad about you at all. Well, you haven't spoke to me for two weeks. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you don't want to say what you're thinking. I didn't see you. Or, I, the first thing I want to say is, have you been here? You know, well, that wouldn't be too smart. You cannot win. And I'm not trying to tell you, but pastors won't tell you. I'm telling you, this happens. I'll guarantee you this has happened to Evan. This will happen to Daniel. Let him be a human being. Don't try to make him something he's not. Let him have children like you have children. Uh, many of you that are here have children. All of us, almost all, have had children. Let the pastor's children be like yours. I can remember raising, we just had one son. We brought him up in church. I went to a staff meeting one Tuesday morning, and the youth pastor, he says, we, I knew him pretty well. He said, Dale, i got to tell you something. So what's that? He said, uh, Jason told me Sunday morning you were going to fire me. <laughs> I said, he did what? He said, yep, I was dealing with him. And I disciplined him, and he looked at me and said, you better not treat me bad, because you do. I'll talk to my dad, and he'll fire you. <laughs> you will find, most likely, pastor's children 
are in the church so much they think they own the place. <laughs> they really do. I was talking to Pastor Evan about this just a couple weeks ago. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He, then he, start, he, you know, he's got, he said, did you know I taught Jason? I said, no, but I prayed for you if you did. But anyway, that's the way it goes. He said, yeah. He said, I was teaching him. He said, you know, he can be a little mischievous. No kidding. And he said he was misbehaving and he was carrying on. And I, I looked at him and said, oh, Jason, I know your daddy. And if you don't straighten up, I'm going to talk to your daddy when the church is over. And he said, Jason, straighten right up and said, don't talk to your daddy. I'll do anything you want me to do. Well, I thank God for teachers and young people and all of you that will talk to a child and I would like to think in this church, parents want other people in this church to help them rear their children appropriately. Admonish their children when they're wrong. My grandchildren were here last Sunday with some of your children, and they were running around in these pews. After church, thank God, they waited till service was over. I stopped them three times and said, stop running. I don't know why their mother didn't stop them. But I wanted to stop. And I took them over and I tried to be adult and say, listen, you understand if you hit the edge of that pew, it could put your eye out. Do you understand if you hit this with your head, you could kill yourself? And they gave me that glass that looked like you old rascal. You don't have a clue what's going on. I know they did. Well, I, I wish some of you, maybe, Ursula, you should have stopped them. Bob, you should. Because you know Bob, he will listen to you. He won't listen to me. But I know some of you that are here this morning when Daniel's children come here, he wants you to help him parent them and you expect him to help parent yours. Treat his children like you would treat your own. Don't treat them differently. Don't expect from his wife die what you don't expect from your own wife. On the other side, maybe what you ought to do is set a real high standard for the pastor and his wife and then you live up to it. It's funny how people expect of you as a pastor what they wouldn't expect of themselves. Sometimes people in the church are not very kind to people. Many, many years ago, I was in church, of course, and I had this old codger. When you're young, everybody's an old codger, and now I am one, so I'm just telling you, I'm an old codger. This fellow, he was always, you know how some fellows think some things are funny, and we did not have any children, and uh, he would say, Hey, preacher, when you go get you one of them little rugrats? I said, well, Joe, we're kind of working on that. And he did this on, ongoingly for a long time. So finally he'd say to me, he said, uh, preacher, you need to get one of them rugrats. And I'd say, well, I'm afraid to. Why? I said, I'm afraid it'll turn out like yours. I did it in a Christian spirit. <laughs> so one day he said something to Jane and she, he upset her. Well, I'm not too much different from some of you men. I take a lot of bull off of you, but don't go upsetting my wife. She was upset. So I went up to him and I said, Joe, did you talk to Jane? Oh, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? I said, did you say something, Jane, about not having children? Yeah, I was just joking with her. I said, Joe, the next time you speak to my wife about why she doesn't have children, I'm going to take you back. Me and you are going to have a discussion. You understand what I'm saying to you? Don't you ever speak to my wife again about not having children. Well, I don't know what you're getting so hot about. I said, I'm not hot yet, but I'm going to take you back. I'm going to get hot. You keep your mouth off my wife and us not having children. Why would people do something like that? Because they're squirrely. Listen, folks, not all the squirrel lives in the trees. Some of them come to church on Sunday morning. Don't be like that. 
don't, don't pick on the pastor or his wife and his family. Don't put them on a pedestal that no one can live up to. But set a high standard for them. Live up to it yourself. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed what can happen when you do that. Because we're having a, a wonderful opportunity to bring a young pastor here. I say young. He's young to some of us. For some of you, he's going to be your age or, or older. He's, he's going to be a middle-aged person at 35. You know, goodness, have mercy. Well, I think we're very blessed to get the pastor that we're having come in. I'm looking forward to his arrival. I'll do whatever I can do to support him. But we need to realize that he's going to have to learn some. And the one thing he needs to have is encouragement. I want to tell you something else he needs. He needs people, some of you that are here this morning. I don't know who it is. But some of you that are here this morning that aren't doing anything in the church need to volunteer. I'm waiting for an amen. Everybody in the church has a tendency to say, well, no one asked me to do it. We put it in the bulletin for six weeks. We announced it on Sunday morning, and you're sitting there waiting for somebody to come and grab you and throw you on the ground, put the knee on your throat, and say, hey, you want to do it? <laughs> An example. Take my best shot while I'm up here. We've got a children's class closed down because we can't find two people to volunteer in this church. And we've announced it, and now this morning we don't have a class open downstairs. Now, maybe there's no one here breathing that is capable of doing that. Or maybe there's someone here waiting for someone to beg you. Or, or whatever, and we all have excuses. I tell you, there's nothing a pastor loves any more than someone to walk up to and say, Pastor, I think I can do thus and such, so and so. If five of you did that on a Sunday, we would have to go and visit him at the hospital. He'd pass out. Pastors don't hear that. Nobody ever volunteers in church anymore. It's like you have to hogtie them and make them. It's like uh, somebody, you know, that proverbial, somebody else will do it. Or I have children. I don't want to volunteer with children's ministry. And I'm very crude, but I say, you should have thought of that before you had them. Because <laughs> I am not going to go down there. I went one time downstairs and worked with children. They just about fired me as a pastor. Because I volunteered. I said, if nobody comes next week, I'm going to go down and work in the children's ministry. One week, we had people volunteering all over the place. My idea of children's ministry is duct tape them to the wall. Yeah. Keeps the noise down. Nobody gets hurt. Now, my wife's good with children. I, 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 don't even, I didn't like teenagers when I was one. I couldn't understand why teenagers were so rebellious. I became a pastor in church at 22 years of age, and some kid was getting off the bus one day, and I said, hey, put the windows up when you get off, Jojo. He didn't pay attention. We called him. I said, Jojo, I told you to put the windows up. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. So I grabbed him, picked him up, and put him on the side of the bus. I said, you get back in there, and you put those windows up. I put him down. He went in and put the bus. He came and said, I'm going to tell my mom and dad. I said, do it quick. Tell them, give me a call. I waited about three weeks because I knew his mother. She was one of these protective women. I thought she was going to surely rake me over the coals. So I stopped by and visited him after about three weeks. And she came to the door. Just as sweet as she could be. He always was to me. I said, did Jojo tell you what happened? No. I told her. I said, I'm not going to put up with I don't care who he is. No teenager is going to tell me he's not going to do something. He's going to do it when I tell him to do it. Well, his daddy feels the same way. When he gets home, I'll straighten him out. Next thing I know, that boy is treating me like King Kong. He said, my mama talked to me. 
hey, some of you that are here, you need to volunteer. Just blow us away and come up and say, I'll do that job. We've got things coming up like the Easter outreach. Get involved. Volunteer. You say, I've never done it before. That doesn't make any difference. Novices are welcome. Volunteer for the children's program, whatever it is. Don't let Pastor Dan have to stand up here and beg. I want to explain one other thing to you. I'm probably over time, but that's all right. Marsha's the only one who make me pay for it. So she goes, I, you when service is over now, she's going to come up to me and say, do you know what time it was when service was that day? <laughs> and I'm going to say the music went too long. That's what it was right there. <laughs> but I want you, everyone here to understand this. That when we talk about pastor support, many people don't understand the difference between pastoral support and running the church. And sometimes people say, well, what does a pastor get paid? And they'll hear some number. And they don't realize that we, we expect the pastor to provide his own car, provide his own gas, provide his own transportation, pay for parking when he goes to the hospitals, do whatever else needs to be done. Go to seminars and workshops that cost money, and on down the line. On the average across America, in the average evangelical church under 200 people, when it comes to pastoral support, about 33% of what he has to be paid indirectly goes not to him, but to ministry. It's the cost of doing ministry. So don't confuse it and think, well, this is, we, we pay the pastor this amount. We don't talk about what the pastor gets paid. It's my responsibility and others on the board. I, I know many of you that are here this morning. It's our job to see to it that our pastor is fairly compensated. We want to provide his medical insurance. We don't want, I, I personally feel, and I think many members of our board, we do not want our pastor to have to be on government assistance for his children to have health care. He's our pastor, and we ought to pay him well enough that he doesn't have to do that. Personally, I, I feel that way very strongly. I do what I can do to make that happen. We, we want our pastor to have a pension, so we pay towards his pension. We feel like that's important, just like we would for any layman. So I encourage you, don't make the pastor feel like he's a beggar or a pauper. The scripture references I have put in the bulletin this morning speak to the issue that the New Testament very clearly addresses, that a, a workman is worthy his hire. And he even used the little clicheous concept that we're not familiar with, where he said, don't muzzle the ox. That comes from the fact that the ox is the one that pulled the great big weight around, that crushed the grain, that made it possible. And what they would do with the ox, where they were mad or when something, they must have had some in, implication to it, they would put a muzzle on the ox's mouth so he couldn't eat and he couldn't drink. And the admonition had come about, don't ever muzzle the ox, because if you do, the ox will cease to work. And Jesus and Paul both used the emphasis that a workman is worthy of his hire. And I commit to you as long as I can with the work of our board members, we're not going to muzzle the ox. We're not going to make our pastor a pauper. He's not going to have to beg. We're not going to make him rich. I've read recently all the pastors in America that are multi-millionaires. I mean, you could read down the list. Most of them are millionaires because of their books. Rick Warren has made more money on books than this church has raised in its history. Untold millions of dollars. Billy Graham could have been a billionaire probably with all the money he made from books, but he gave most of it back to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We're not going to apologize for supporting our pastor. We're not going to apologize for helping this church to grow. 
not going to apologize to trying to find out where he's weak and filling in the gaps. And finally, I want to encourage you to pray for him. Not any different than you would pray for anyone else. But he's my pastor, he'll be your pastor, he'll be our pastor. And we want to make a difference in this community. By that, I mean everywhere around here. People say, well, you know, I'd come to that church, but it's so far out. It's not that far out. I, you know, Evan told me when I first came, he said, so people think it's a long ways away. I came through Chardonnay. It's not that far. I had people drive a lot further to get a new promise in Kirtland than they do to drive here. Not that far. So I want this to be a community church, but my community covers everything from Jefferson to Kirtland. I want people to come here. I want them to get saved. I want them to grow in Christ. We need to work together to accomplish that. I believe Pastor Daniel will lead us in that direction. With God's help, we'll accomplish it. I'm going to close our service this morning to invite anyone that come. I, I trust our leaders, so it's a hint, fellows, that, and ladies that are on our board. And I'd like many of you, if you would, let's take just a couple of minutes. Would you join me up front here? We're going to have some music. We're going to pray for our new pastor coming in. Pray for Di, his wife, and his three children. I know he has three children. I saw it written, but I don't know their names yet, but I will find them out. I would invite you, if you would. Let's all stand together. Our altar's open. If you would be so kind to come up here and join me, we're going to have prayer right now as a church for Pastor Daniel and I and their children and the leadership of this church. If Lifehouse is your church, Daniel Surratt will be your pastor. We're very pleased as a leadership team that he accepted. We believe he has some gifts. We believe he's anointed. John Maxwell said something one time that when I heard it, I thought it's so true. He said, a pastor leading a group of people who don't want to follow is taking a long, lonely walk. Heavenly Father, we, the body of Christ here at Lifehouse Church, bow our heads before you this morning. You are the church. You're the author of the church. You're the finisher of the church. We, by faith, believe that you have called Daniel Surratt as a pastor and that you have called him to this location. We believe that you have called him to be our pastor and we are to be his sheep. But Lord, we don't want to be idle followers. We want to be active. We want to help your kingdom to go forward. We want to help him to succeed. We pray, God, you'll give him wisdom. We pray you'll give him administrative abilities, delegational abilities, leadership abilities. We've already heard that he's a good preacher. We believe he'll be a great teacher. Seems to have a sweet wife and good children. So, Father, on paper, everything looks great. But without your anointing, it will fail. But we're not planning on it, not having your anointing. So we come to you this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to already begin, as I hope you already have, a work in Daniel Surratt as our pastor. Begin a work in all of us as the church. 
that we might make a difference for your kingdom. Help us to come together as your church and the body of Christ, that we might be able to reach people everywhere around in our community and let them know Lifehouse Church is a beacon of hope and we're here to reach people in the name of Jesus Christ. Be glorified in Pastor Daniel's life and Di's life and in each of our lives in the life of Lifehouse Church. As you are glorified and you are honored and you are lifted up because your word says, if we will lift you up, you will draw all men to you. So do that, we pray. We ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost again because we believe it's your church. And everybody who agreed said an amen. Amen. I remind you one further time, we have a little table out there for our Easter outreach.